to another episode of In the Paint. I am joined as we record every week with my buddy, my hoopin' pal, my co-host, Joe. Joe, what's going on, man? Hey, Matt. NBA Finals time, man. It is uh, game four tonight, actually. Um, we've had three games since the last time we recorded. Um, yeah. The last time we recorded, we had just finished up um, the, uh, you know, both the, the conference final series, and we were talking about um, the, the NBA final starting and now we're actually three games in that's the the beauty of this whole thing and you know when you want, only record once a week sometimes a few games go by that you'll talk about so got a lot to talk about today though we really do um, just because we'll go over each game and then you know obviously the big game three the in- just the interesting game three and the really cool game three that happened we'll we'll talk about but last week we you know we we talked about each of the conference final series so the Eastern Conference finals between Miami and Boston and then the Western Conference finals with the Nuggets and the Lakers. And then we just kind of previewed what we thought the NBA Finals was going to be. We both, I think you said sweep. Um, I said Lakers in five. Um, I mean, most people were thinking sweep after the first couple of games, which we'll talk about. Right. Um, and then um, and then we just talked about Billy Donovan getting hired by the Bulls, which I loved. Doc Rivers out of L.A., which we have an update on his status now. And then we just talked about, um, you know, the the dynamic between LeBron and AD and kind of like where each of them is now. And my inflammatory comment of just not having the right verbiage and saying <laughs> um, that I trust AD to get more, more, th- more likely than saying I think AD is more likely to get 40 than LeBron. But um, we may find out that answer tonight because I think one of those two or maybe both of them may go for 40 um, I, tonight. It's very possible that both of them do or <laughs> close to it. After the shit show th- that was um, in game three. But that being said, let's jump in um, to kind of talk about those NBA Finals games. So um, we'll first recap games one and two because there really wasn't, I mean, they were, they were games, but they weren't necessarily like phenomenally interesting or exciting games. Um, but real quick, so... So game one, um, I don't know if you've got that pulled up or if you have any, mm-hmm. you know, the box score, but just kind of walk through your first thoughts of, you know, game one, which happened actually September 30th, so, you know, almost a week ago. Um, what were your thoughts, your first thoughts and initial reactions to that game one, um, you know, a, a, what is it, an 18-point win by the Lakers? Well, remember, I kind of called it. I said, <laughs> the the Heat are going to come out, and they're going to, like, dominate the first quarter and win the first quarter. Yeah, you had texted me that. Yeah. yeah. And then the Lakers are just going to take over from there. And that's basically what happened, except for the Lakers did it earlier, and they ended up with a first-quarter lead. Yeah, that, I think we were, again, texting back and forth like we do for every game. Um, that was almost the the shocker, was that I thought you were going to be spot on, right? Like, Miami at one point was up 13, I think, was their big lead in the first. Yeah, within like the 20, first 20 to 7. Yeah, like within the first five minutes, and we're like, right. oh, Okay, like just like you said. We kind of knew this would happen. They were going to punch first. They're going to come out and play hard. And then KCP hits those two threes in a row, and it's quickly back to like six or eight. Yeah. And then the Lakers just ended it like that. I mean, that was the game. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Um, Just looking at the stats here, you know, I mean, the only person with a positive plus minus um, from the starters was Goran Dragic. Yeah. Um, everybody else was and not he, good. He only played 15 minutes. Yeah, you know, due to what we'll, we'll talk about some injuries yeah. and stuff. But yeah, I mean, the first game for the Heat was not good. I mean, just point blank, other than the first five minutes, it was terrible. It also helps when the Lakers shoot 40% from three. <laughs> yep. And uh, and AD just was completely, that game, unstoppable. The, you know, when you go to basketballreference.com and you look up each box score, it gives you the four factors, and we kind of talked about it. Usually, whoever wins the majority of those four factors, which are the efficient field goal percentage, the turnover percentage, 
offensive rebounding percentage, and then free throws per field goals, um, you know, for field goals attempted. That's usually what happens. And, you know, the Lakers won three out of four. They actually turned the ball over more, which they're prone to. That's what they, they one of the things they do. They, they turn the ball over a little too much. But they, they won three out of the four categories minus the turnovers. And usually when you have the better offensive rating and you, you shoot better and you rebound better, and you get more free throws. I mean, you're going to win the game, and that's they just dominated after those first five minutes. And um, but th- some big storylines came out of that game outside of just the wins. Um, talk about you know a couple people got hurt. Yeah, Goran, uh, 15 minutes. That's all he got left in the second quarter. I don't I think, think he came was. out after halftime. Yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, with a with the tear in his foot, it seems mm-hmm. like so. Yeah. And they're still saying he's, uh, you know. Questionable. I don't know if he's out for tonight or not. Uh, the latest report yesterday was he's unlikely to play. He's doubtful. Yeah. Um, so. I think it's just really, I don't think there's a huge risk of him like re injuring or anything like that. I just think it's super painful for him to be able to cut or turn or do anything right now, which, you know, as a point guard and a basketball player, you don't really need to do that anyways, right? Yeah, I mean, no, not at all. You don't need so, your wheels. Yeah. Um, no, JJ Redick was on his podcast yesterday, or either yesterday or the day before, and, and um, it was yesterday, and he talked about. Um, he had the same exact injury and was just like, you basically can't put any weight on it. You can't do anything. Yeah. Um, like he goes, you you have a blown tire, and like when you, you can't drive with a blown tire and you can't play basketball with a blown you know blown tire. So, yeah. um, basically saying like this this will be he he thinks he's done for the series and won't play basketball again. Which it looks that way every time you know he comes out doubtful. It's mostly just to like keep the Lakers at bay, but he's not playing. No. The other one was Bam. Uh, well, there was actually another one that ended up not being as serious as we thought. But there, so Bam re-aggravated a shoulder injury that he had messed up in Game Five of the Boston series. Yes, um, re-aggravated it, and he that happened in Game One, and since then has not played in either Game Two or Three. Right. It looks like he was questionable. They, the official word is questionable, which I would assume he plays in Game Four because now, spoiler, we. I don't want to say we have a series, but we have a not a sweep. Um, no, yeah, I mean they're right in it. I mean the Lakers have they yes. have to play. You yeah. know, I it's mean, not a sleepwalk anymore. Exactly. Um, but the big one that was like for me was very concerning at the time was the Jimmy Butler ankle when he that thing when he rolled that thing touched the ground like that that ankle yeah, went to bad. the ground and He's I got, thought it was done. I've seen that happen a few times where and people just walk it off. It's usually LeBron. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's very few so, people that are just walking that off. Right, and uh, like, I guess Butler has bionic ankles too or something because, yeah, you saw that and you just thought, you know, he's done. Yeah. Uh, no, he just, like, I mean, he tightened up the sneaker and, he did. and kept playing. It was, uh, it, again, like I said, it was one of those where I'm like, oh, man. Uh, if Goran obviously going down is big, Bam is obviously big, but, like, that guy goes down. That's your heart and soul, right? Like, yes, that that would be the one. I mean, we thought the other two were going to be the one, but that would be the one. Um, Absolutely would. And so he comes back. He just like you said, ties up the shoe, finishes off the game, almost to a point where like you probably shouldn't have. You just like, but yeah. I feel like sometimes, and, and you know, we both have had plenty of ankle injuries or, or rolled ankles or whatever. Like sometimes sitting down is the worst thing because it starts to swell up and then it starts to get tight and then it's like. You almost, for that game specifically, it's almost better to just keep playing you, if you feel like you can. Absolutely. You want to keep playing. Like, you want to, like, put pressure on a little bit, test yeah. it out. Like, Get the blood, you know, keep the almost, blood flowing. Yeah, walk it off. Your adrenaline's going, like, your and your body yeah. reacts. But as soon as you stop, that's when, that's when the issues happen. And that night into the next day are crucial because if you don't, 
if the ankle gets worse and it swells up and it doesn't get treatment and it really just locks up, he's not playing that next game. Correct. Like there's just yeah. no way. So the 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 it, um, helpful and the encouraging part was that the next day that they were saying he was fine. Yeah. Um, you know, the ankle was it wasn't perfect, but it was fine. It was good right. to play. And so he then went into practice. He was good. And so that was good news for for game two. As you know, you're down one or you know if you're Miami, you're down 0-1. You get walloped after you have a great first quarter. You then lose by 18, and you got to think, okay, if we don't have Jimmy Butler, we then get where we don't have Goran or Bam. We're like, oh shit, zero. Your chance zero, goes. I from- mean, literally zero, right? Yeah. But they find out they still, you know, Jimmy's gonna play, but they're still without Goran and Bam. So we're like, okay, this is gonna be tough, but like we still have our leader. We still have our, you know, our, our right. heart and soul. So then they come out, um, and this was a much more. Uh, this was a much more competitive game from from start to finish, um, you know, just throughout. Uh, you know, game two. Game two. Yeah. You know, get, uh, first quarter. Uh, first quarter ends up being twenty nine twenty three. So so the Lakers obviously, um, you know, the Lakers obviously win that quarter, and it was never like the Miami Heat pulled away. It was more of a Lakers dominated quarter. Um, the second quarter was the one that like got away from the Heat. The concerning thing about uh, the second and third quarters in that game is giving up the Lakers, giving up thirty-one and thirty-nine points to a team without Goron and Bam. Right. That you know that was crazy to me. What? What? So that you said thirty-nine. So, so that's seventy points in two quarters to a team that shouldn't be scoring more than probably ninety points in this game without those two scores. Right. right. I mean, you know, yeah. more than a hundred. Yes. Um, they end up scoring 114, and you're like, ooh, that, that seems odd to me. It's almost like, I mean, the Lakers have not played great this series, outside of spurts here and there. And you and I kind of talked about that. That's kind of their MO, is that you kind of see, and you kind of watch this game, and you're kind of thinking, you know, well, they should be down 10 or, or 15. Like, in in the game one, that first quarter, yeah. to only be down 13 at one point, and then to end up winning that quarter, honestly, was miraculous. Just the way that... I know they ended up shooting lights out, yeah. but like there was an easy chance for them to be down twenty the way that they were playing. Yeah, but they they have a tendency to be sloppy with the ball. Yep, right? which we'll talk about in game three. Yeah, they have a tendency to miss a lot of open threes. Yep, um, they're not a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination. They just have the two of the top five <laughs> players in the NBA. So so while it doesn't look pretty at times, and there's a lot of times even in game three where, you know, we'll get to that later, Yeah. where, like, you just feel that they should be down 15, and you look at, at the scoreboard, and yeah. it's a two- or three-point game, and you're like, what is happening? How are they How are they doing this? And, again, we'll talk about Game 3 more, much more in depth, but the Game 3 one is just so interesting because the only one in the first quarter, or even first half, that was playing well was LeBron. Yeah. And even he wasn't playing super well. No, he wasn't. So, like, we'll the fact that, that they were only down, what, four, at ha- five, four or five at halftime yeah. was, li- like, I keep saying miraculous, but, like, the numbers show there was no way that they should have been even close. So, right. but back to game two, I think, you know, I'm looking at the box score here, and, you know, they shot 50% from the field for the game. They shot 34% from three, um, only 58% from the foul line, which is just... Right atrocious but you get 32 from lebron or 33 from lebron you get 32 from ad you get 11 from kcp but the the reserves again kuzma and rondo both have 11 and or, you know, 16 11 and 16 respectively and you know you, it, it is going to come down to we, we say it every time but like I, we just need to harp on it whoever that third guy is like who are you going to yeah. get production from outside of the first two and that will dictate and if you can get three guys with 10 or more points like you know uh kuzma Rondo and and this one KCP, that's huge for them. They need at least a third guy to get ten or more, or maybe fifteen or more, and then hopefully other guys contribute. 
Another thing is in that game too, uh, 16 offensive rebounds by the, the Lakers. The rebounding has been yeah. huge for them. And then and then only nine turnovers compared to like game three. So or yeah, yeah, what they did game in game three, three right? right? So like, you know, I look at these first two box scores and you look at the Heat and you watch them play and you're like, they are playing about as good as they can. In games one and two and three, really, in spurts, they are they are maximizing their potential i would say i mean in game one in that first quarter when they had everybody healthy and everybody's playing like if if that's what they play like every game the lakers are, are in for a dogfight. yeah it's but tough. they just can't put that together for against a great team like this or well, with star-studded cast for 48 minutes but you're right like they and then in game two without these players they absolutely did as best as they could they i mean they are if you're looking at just like objectively of who is playing better basketball like a better brand or whatever it really is the heat right now, right? Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about things like, um, you know, defensive intensity. Oh, man. You know, um, getting to their spots. It's just that LeBron and AD, um, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can make it difficult on them, but they're still going to get theirs. And, and like, again, let's be honest, that's kind of how the Lakers have been all year, right? Yes. It's never been pretty necessarily. It's never been this beautiful brand of basketball. But no. When you have two of the top five, maybe now at this moment, the way AD's playing top three players in the world, like you can afford to not play beautiful basketball, but still get thirty and thirty from both of these guys. Like, yeah, no one's going to no one's going to confuse these Lakers with like the two thousand fourteen Spurs, of course not, or those Warriors teams with beautiful ball movement. No, you know, that's just not who they are. No, and you're it's right. it's kind of an ugly, dirty kind of brand of basketball and you just rely on LeBron you you rely on really tough defense you know Vogel has done an excellent job on that yeah um this series they haven't looked great defensively at times and you rely on your best players to to sort of make plays and and that's their formula and it's worked and that's kind of expected right when you have a, a, a lineup of guys kind of a lot of veterans a lot of older guys right you're you're Dwight Howard who now is just making a living off of rebounding and like being an imposing force yes uh, Markeith, who's always a big, you know, kind of bully guy. Um, Caruso, who just plays his balls off and, like, is in-your-face defense. And, like, clearly physicality is, like, one of the things that he thrives on. Right. Rondo, just a heady IQ uh, defensive, at times really good defensively when he picks his spots. Danny Green has, has obviously regressed, but he can, he can play defense play. when he wants. Yeah. And So a lot of these guys, like, they're just smart dudes. Like, the, it comes down to situational basketball, They're for the most part, they're going to make the right play. Um, will they take a dumb shot here and there? Of course. Like, Markeith in Game 3 missed some shots so bad. KCP made, missed some shots so bad. But when you need to lock in and engage, we've said this, when the Lakers engage for 48, 40 minutes, no one's beating them because they're Absolutely. so smart. They're so good. They, they're so physical. LeBron, when when him, him and AD lock in defensively and offensively, no one's beating them. We saw in Game 3, and, and at times in Game 1 and Game 2, when they don't lock in or they kind of go lackadaisical, Miami doesn't do that. Ever. They're so good at how they run. Their, they just stick to the plan. They ran some pin downs, um, and they ran some uh, some stuff in Game 3 that was just so beautiful. Um, and we'll, when we talk about Game 3, we'll get to it. There was a potential for Miami, if they actually hit open shots, they could have won that game by 25. Yes. That's how bad the Lakers played and still only lost by nine um, because Miami didn't necessarily hit stuff, too. Well, that's how big the talent gap is, I think, between the two teams. I Correct. think that shows, especially without Bam and Goron. Um, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Lakers are up 2-1. They had a chance. Okay, we've been over this before we get to game three. Yeah. And I, I texted you this. 
having a 2-0 lead. Yes, talk about that. Um, you brought I up that think, phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it doesn't matter what uh, the sport is, for the most part. A 2-0 lead, in whether it's um, an NBA best-of-seven series, whether it's a 2-0 goal lead in soccer or hockey, like it's almost like a kiss of death. Like You know you're at least giving up one yeah. there, right? For the most part. Unless you are head and shoulders above the other team or it's just your night. Like, it's just how, um, like, it's just how it is. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Like, psycho- psychologically, like, you know, the Heat had everything to play for. Yeah, backs game against three. the walls. Correct, yeah. yeah. And no matter, money. Right. And no matter how much, you know, LeBron and AD and Vogel, they're in that locker room and they're talking about, hey, we can't let our guard down, we can't get our let up. There's just this a psychological phenomenon that happens, I think, where, like, you just don't want it as bad as the other team because you don't need it as bad as the other team. Yeah, I think no, spot on. Um, I was even thinking so. Two zero obviously is a big one. Um, you could you could also talk about three zero, um, like yeah. being up three zero. I know you could always say, well, they're going for the sweep, but there's always just this natural tendency to be like. And I was I was thinking about this yesterday to your point about two zero and maybe even three zero or three one, like if you're the Lakers, you have the two of the top three players in the world. You're up 2-0, and you know Miami isn't going to have their two, you know, two Im- impact players going into Game Three. You say to yourself, as much as LeBron and AD and Vogel want them to play really hard and like lock in, you could say to yourself, they're going to say the right things. Yeah, of course, they're going to say all the right things. But in their brain, or as as a collective team, you can just think, ah, well, hell, if we don't even play that well and we still win, fuck it, like we're 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 just better. Yeah. Like you know, we clearly can impose that we're better. We'll win Game Four in a breeze, whatever. But if you go, but if we don't play well, we kind of take our foot off the gas and we don't win. It's not the end of the world. We come back for game four and we dominate. We're up 3-1, right? That's the mental. And when you have a ton of veterans who have been through a lot of this before, they're probably thinking a lot of the same stuff together collectively. Uh, We're going to try harder for like the first half or for like the first three quarters. And if we just don't think we have it. We're not gonna. We'll we'll, we'll kind of fold, not fold, but like we'll 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 let the foot off the gas. And yeah, no one's saying that out loud. Of course, no one's you know, um, really trying to be that way. But I just think it it happens psychologically, right? Where you're yeah. just you know you don't want it nearly as bad because you know you can give it up. And I don't want to use this as an excuse, actually, because it may sound like I'm like kind of giving them a pass for how they played when I say this. But LeBron is so smart, right? He looks around in Game Three. Maybe even after the half, the first quarter or the first two quarters, maybe even the third quarter, and he just goes, "We don't have it tonight." And you you mentioned this; uh, it was either yesterday or when we were watching the game. And he takes those two or three deep threes in game in, in the fourth quarter yeah. when like there was still a chance yeah. for them to bring it within like two or three and like make it a game. He takes those two deep threes, and um, well, then he- you go, "Ah, well, we don't have it." Like. And we'll, we'll obviously go more in depth in that in a yeah. second when we talk about Game 3. But I just think that LeBron is so smart that he can look around in Game 3 with that 2-0 lead and just know if they're going to have it tonight or not. And when he notices that they don't have it, he kind of starts to disengage. Not that he defers, but right. he just kind of takes a step back. And um, it's almost like he had said, all right, well, we're going to just kind of rest and go through the motions and get ready for Game 4. We don't have it tonight. The, the danger of that, though— is that this Heat team Correct. does not stop. Like, and, and a couple bounces go their way or someone gets hot. Like, not that the Lakers are in trouble or anything, but 
it could be a lot closer than you know what you think because of just how they play so hard. And we've talked about this throughout the entire playoffs is that you know there are times when you know they could be down 10, 12, um, they could be down in a series. And, uh, like, it doesn't matter because they are so consistent with their effort level. Yeah, the Boston series, right? In a couple games, they were down, like, 10 or 13 going into the— at one point in the third or fourth quarter, and it was, like, didn't matter. You know, they cut it to to two or to four within minutes, and then it's a game again. And it wasn't like like there was some new scheme that Spolstra threw in that was confusing the Celtics or anything like that. It was just that they are so consistent at what they do that eventually— stuff is going to fall for them and they're going to get stops. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, we'll transition into game three here and spend the bulk of the time on it. But, you know, uh, was that Sunday night? So Sunday night, I mean, you come out and if you're you're the Lakers for game three, you're thinking, all right, no Bam, no Goron. Um, If we just do the same formula, games for the most part of game one and game two, this will be a breeze. Um, And... From the jump, you know, they went down. At one point, I think it was like 22 to 9. They mm-hmm. went down 13 in the first quarter. And you just kind of like, this was different. It felt different than game one because in game one, they went down 13 and then they hit a few big shots. And they were playing hard and they tied it up and took the lead in the first quarter. From, from the very beginning, you just knew that this was going to be one of those, like you said, down or up 2-0 kind of let down or take your foot off the gas moments. You definitely saw that. and then, But the the miraculous thing was is going into the fourth quarter and midway through the fourth quarter, they were right in it and they had the lead halfway through the fourth quarter. And, like, yeah. and it was just one of those things where I think, you know, okay, well, we're going to hang around a little bit. And, you know, if we... Uh, you know, if we hit a couple shots here and there, then we win. If we don't, oh, well, we'll go back to game four. And that's kind of what it felt like, right? Yeah, and we've said it on this podcast already today, but, like, that's just how they've built their team. They know that if they stay within five or six in every game because they have such the top, two of the top three players and such a gritty team, they're going to be – if they stay within five or six – they have a very good chance to win the game. Yes. They'll they'll muddy it up. They'll fi- they'll make it physical. Right. They'll hit a couple shots, like you said, and they'll walk away with a win. Um, the difference is you can't do that against every single team in the NBA, especially a really physical one and such a well coached one like Miami, because a six point lead with Miami sometimes can feel like a ten point lead it can. because of how monotonous and how just like meticulous they are. And but like you said, they even took a lead at one point in the fourth quarter, and you're like, oh, this was it. Like I kind of thought once they got that lead, and I think they did too. We're just going to cruise to the end and separate. I did too. So going back to that end yeah. real quick, and then we can talk about uh, how amazing Jimmy Butler was. For sure. So, But uh, with just under nine minutes left, Rondo makes a layup, up, puts, puts, put the Lakers up too. Yeah. He, he called timeout. Here's the, here's LeBron James after that. And is you this know the what? fourth quarter? Yes. I don't even want to I, I know how bad it is. I love I LeBron. Mean, it's bad. Oh, but, of course. Yeah. But he, uh, you know, you could tell, okay. So, LeBron James' possessions after that. LeBron James' travel. Bunch of stuff happens. Olenek makes a three. Olenek, all of a sudden, uh, you know, he, he did have a good game, but yeah. I'm not banking on that every time. No, right? for sure. Then uh, he, Hero makes a three. Yep. Kuzma answers with a three. LeBron travels again. Hero makes a layup. Coldwell Pope goes to the line. LeBron James misses 29-foot three-pointer. There it is. There's the 29-footer. Yeah, exactly. LeBron James out of bad, out of bounds, bad pass turnover. Yep. Um, LeBron James shooting foul. LeBron James missed twenty seven foot three pointer. Yep. All the while, while the, while the Heat are still scoring, and then he 
Turns it over again. Another turnover. Yep. And then misses another three. So I guess my point is, like, in that close game, when they're right there, you know, LeBron, not necessarily settling for threes, and he's become a much better three-point shooter. Of course. Right? But it's almost to his disadvantage where, like, it becomes too, not easy of a shot, but, like, he's like, okay, I can make this, and, and shoots it instead of really putting his head down, getting to the basket, when that team still has nobody to stop him or Anthony Davis. Yeah, they're, the ending was so, it was so, like, counter, or it was so different from the rest of the game. Well, not, sorry, the first quarter. The first quarter and the fourth quarter were very similar in how they were played. Yeah. Um, the end of the fourth and then the whole first quarter, just the way that LeBron and AD played in those games. were The first and fourth were, were mirror images. But the second and third, the Lakers played really, really well to get to the point where they could end up taking a lead in the fourth quarter. And it was so frustrating to see them revert, and, and sometimes LeBron James teams do this, and it's not necessarily a knock against him because he is efficient and he is a very smart player, but they slow the game down and they really start to go one-on-one basketball in a time, but then LeBron James will sometimes settle for these like deep twos or deep threes yeah. instead of when he gets a switch on Duncan Robinson, instead of just going right at him. Right. And for a guy who is such a switch hunter and a guy who's so smart in getting the matchup that he wants, you, you're su- it's surprising to me that in the fourth quarter when he gets a switch onto Duncan Robinson that he ends up taking a step back three or a deep three when they were down two or three and they didn't need a, a deep three at that moment, the way they were dominating that in, in terms of the switching and in the paint. Absolutely. I was just – I was just maybe it was legs, maybe it was fatigue or whatever, or maybe, again, LeBron's thinking, all right. I'm just going to dagger. Let's try to get a dagger here, yeah. right? And then – but – you know, it didn't work, obviously, and now we're where we're at. And yeah, I, I just think that there was a lot of. Uh, we'll. Talk, I'm gonna go through a couple of things just from the first quarter on, but there was just a couple of things that happened in the first quarter where you kind of felt like AD wasn't gonna have it tonight. He got two really touch fouls early, and then from there he basically had just disconnected from the entire game. He absolutely deferred. Deferred. I don't think he had... I want to see what his shots were in the first quarter because I don't know if he had an attempt. I'm being serious about that. No, he didn't. He had like, no attempts in the first quarter. Which he is, had two fouls and that was it. Which is absolutely ridiculous. And it's, I know and I know what they were doing. They fronted him on the block and they tried to you know, be aggressive and not let him catch. But still, you can't have him... Yep. He... Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about that. So, first quarter, he gets two kind of touch fouls. Um, one was probably legit. One was not... I could make an argument that both weren't, but the one I understand. So he he has two fouls. He plays seven, almost eight minutes, and he has zero free throw attempts, zero field goal attempts, one assist, four turnovers, and two fouls. That's a really bad first quarter. And you know what? It didn't get better. He shot the ball nine times for the game. That's nine it. times. And um, let, let me, me say that again. <laughs> Anthony Davis, who just scored thirty-four and thirty-two in the first two games, shot the ball nine times without Bam playing. Yeah. No no one, no imposing force in the, the paint to be worried about. And he shot nine times. Zero in the in the first quarter and only two in the first half. Ridiculous. So um, that was, you know, and I, I fully believe it changes and it bounces, they bounce back at, in game four. But if there's any of those people that were like, Anthony Davis skeptics, that's your game, right? Sure. Game three is your game where you use your evidence and you go, can you do it for a series? I mean, first first two games, you're talking, uh, oh, finals MVP. 100%. Like, you're talking, uh, like he's 
Like, you look at the numbers, and I know you want to give it to LeBron, but really, through two games, I mean, it's probably AD. And, and, and. You, you, 34, 34, and 34, 9, and 5 in game one, and then 32 and 14 in game two. And yeah. you're like, oh man, he's right, he's right there. Like, it's neck and neck for finals MVP. And if yeah. in game three he comes out with 40 and 10, or 40 and 9, or yeah, whatever, he's got it. He's got it. Right. Right. But I don't think you can be, I mean, even if they go on and, win, let's say, win this game, win the series in five or six. He, it's not know. his anymore. Right. I mean, he would have to come back and do something miraculous at this point, right? Because you know LeBron's going to be steady. He's going to get his 25, 10, and 8, which he got the other, which he got in game three. He did. He did have eight turnovers. Which I was, we'll, we'll talk you know about. I mean? Yeah. But, but that sight line is still better than 15, 5. Oh, 100%. So. Back to back to like we were mentioning in the first quarter, AD is terrible. Obviously, um, like we said, no shots, no points, four turnovers, two fouls. LeBron, uh, two shots, made them both. Seven free throw attempts in the the first quarter, but only made four of them, so that's a bummer. The but he has the four turnovers uh, again. So they combined the team combined for ten turnovers in just the first quarter alone. Yeah. I'm sorry, you can't have that. No, you, can, you can't. The, the Miami Heat didn't even have ten in the game. And how was alone. it a three-point game after the first quarter? Too, you got to ask yourself that again. Like, like ten turnovers, <laughs> which basically means they probably only got like two or four points off of those ten turnovers because sure. you would think they could get at least eight to you know or ten right. to twenty or ten to fifteen points off those turnovers. Yeah. So again, miraculously, the Lakers are only down three after that terrible first quarter. Um, but to to go back to what Miami Heat were doing to Anthony Davis, you kind of said they were fronting him which is something that they have tried to do but haven't been successful in. And when you have Bam, you don't have to really front him. You Correct. can just kind of put him behind him. But another thing they did was in this zone that they start to you know run a little bit, they collapse on AD and they force him to become a decision maker. And they force him to you know make a quicker decision than he likes to do. And I love Anthony Davis, but we've, we've, we've talked about this on the pod. He's not the greatest passer. No, that's his next step, right? He has. I mean, if you want to be yeah. this all around, and Bam, Bam has to do the same thing. Yeah. They got to become better decision makers and pass. When I say decision making, I mean passing. Correct. Um, so those four turnovers were because he was getting doubled or tripled or just collapsed on, and he was looking to make a pass, and he would throw it at someone's feet, or he would throw it out of bounds, or it was just stolen. And again, that's just Eric Spolstra looking at film and going, "Okay, here's one thing that we can maybe stifle them on." And this wasn't like uh, this wasn't soft doubles. No, that, that like um, the Nuggets tried. You know Correct. what I mean? Yeah. I mean they were coming hard and they were coming fast. We've always said when so. we play too and when we watch the game, like if you're gonna double, just fucking double. Like, like do don't it. do the like little rake thing. Like sometimes it works, but on really right. really good big men, if you're a little guy and you don't go in there with 100% intent to double, he's gonna expose you. Yeah. So what they were doing was sometimes. There was a hard double with two people, but then there was a third guy sometimes even coming in and like really making it tough. Right. And I would say three of the four turnovers that Anthony Davis had were because of this like collapsing de- defense that they did in this zone slash man sometimes when they were in the paint. They made him uncomfortable. And LeBron does this sometimes, right? He, I, I believe LeBron's greatest strength is his IQ, just in his entire game. He's the smartest player on the floor every single time he steps on the floor, and it's not sure. even close. Yes. His athleticism, obviously, too. But for the most part, I think what his skill above everybody else's is how smart he actually is. But he does it sometimes where he overpasses or he tries to be too smart and, like, really mess with the defense. Yes. Instead of just, like... Taking the easier play. Taking the easier play. And he yeah. did this a few times in the fourth quarter and he threw the ball away or he made a really, really tough pass. 
to make it look really good. And when you have 10 turnovers, I know they were only down three, but like that's not a great formula. Like it's not. You will if you lose a turnover battle, for the most part, I understand they have three two of the best three players in the world. It doesn't always work that way. But in, in the grand scheme of basketball, whoever turns the ball over less, whoever rebounds somewhat significantly, usually ends up winning the game. I mean, if you're I, I always preach against turnovers because a turnover is one shot you're taking away from yourself and you're giving the other team another shot. So that could be a potential one turnover could be a potential of a four to six point swing, honestly. And in NBA in finals possession. games, that's sometimes the margin of error in, or the, yeah. the margin of the score by the end of the game, it could be four to six points. So right. we've talked about it we, as a coach, you've done it, I've done it. Like if there's anything you talk about, it's protect the ball. Yes. You may shoot terribly, you may rebound terribly, which usually isn't great, but for the most part, if you take care of the ball, you're going to have more possessions, which means more shot opportunities and more chance to score points, and that's going to win the game. And then you can shoot a lower percentage. I mean, correct. You know, so another thing that kept the Lakers in the first quarter is LeBron going to the line seven times. Seven times. Guess how much he went the rest of the game? Um, hold on. <laughs> Two. Two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not a conspiracy guy. Trust me, I'm not. I. I believe that we, you know, the Nuggets complained about it in game like three or four of the the last series, and then yeah. you actually look at the numbers, and it ended up being almost even, right? Yeah. The game, the, I could do the math right now. The game evens out. The series evens out in terms of foul it calls. Does. Um, game one, the free throw attempts were twenty seven for LA and um, fourteen for Miami, so not great. Uh, and then in game two, it was thirty four for the Heat. And 17, 17 for the Lakers. So it it ends up that was basically almost actually much worse than game one in terms of disparity. And then in game three, you get twenty you get twenty-nine for the Lakers and you get twenty-three for the Heat. So like it wasn't that the Heat weren't getting called or sorry, the Lakers weren't getting calls. Correct. It was they got they got a huge bulk of them in the first quarter. Yeah. And then I think even maybe got a huge bulk of them in the run coming back because they were in the bonus. But then that fourth quarter, they just weren't as aggressive. No, and that's what it is, is aggressiveness. So only, even, five, even, only five in the fourth quarter. Even foul call, or an even amount of foul calls between two, D's, two teams does not mean that it is a good officiated game. 100%. Right? I mean, agree. just because, you know, one team has 20 free throws and the other team has 23 doesn't mean that it was a greatly officiated game. Because a lot of that, too, is when you're in the bonus... Yeah. Every single foul means foul shots. So if there were terrible calls that led up to the bonus and then you get a bunch of evenly called, you're still getting way more free throw attempts. Right. So it's all in the flow of the game. And And a um, foul's a foul. Like it doesn't. Yes. yes. So if one team fouls more, they deserve to be called. And, you know, and LeBron was really frustrated in the third and fourth quarter. You could tell towards the end of the third and the fourth, he was getting hacked. He was, he actually was making a concerted effort in the beginning of the fourth to get to the rim. And LeBron is a guy who, when he doesn't get the calls, he knows it and he stops exerting all this energy because we, people always say this and I hate when they do it on the broadcast or anybody talks, they go, why the hell isn't he going to the rim? And Aside from those deep threes, those were dumb. He should have yeah. gone at least somewhere closer to the rim. But right. it is exhausting. I'll tell you, as a small guy that gets to the <laughs> rim at will, it is exhausting to go into the paint every play and get the shit beat out of you every time you go in. Yeah. I know LeBron is 6'8", 260, and he's a huge human, and he can take the hits, but he's getting hit by guys that are 6'8", 280, or 260, and that hurts. Like, it's not easy. No, it's not easy, and, like, he... He powers through it, right? He does. Like, he, he doesn't... Okay. 
he doesn't flop in the sense that when he's going to the rim, right, and Correct. he's doing a layup, he plays through the contact. He will right? complain ad nauseum about it, but Correct. he does not do the like head thing or like exactly. you know, while the thing the is flail. actually happening. So a lot of times it doesn't look like a foul. <laughs> That's fair. We talked, and I talked. So. I texted you this um, when Jamal Murray had is a phenomenal dude with using his shoulder to get contact. Yeah. Or to, sorry, to initiate space and initiate contact. I wonder if with these guys, if the defender, or now we're flipping it with LeBron being the the offensive guy, if they were to just be so demonstrative with their with their flailing or their reaction. We know that that matters to if the they referee. Sell the call, yeah. So if LeBron gets basically kind of tapped on the arm, but he like acts like he got a freaking machete to his arm like does that influence i don't know with lebron because he's bigger but like with jamal murray it, or caruso i think has started to figure this out a little bit yeah caruso takes a little bit of a hit and he kind of acts like he gets shot and he's got well, that's because he has no respect whatsoever so he has to go and do that 100 percent. and so i think there's just a lot of levels to this but the biggest part is lebron and the numbers have shown it that's why they sent the tape to the league with against the nuggets the numbers show that he is, everybody's like, oh, he's not driving as much to the rim. Actually, his numbers are almost up with attempts to in the paint. Yes. And he's getting significantly less calls with the same amount of contact and rim protection, and he's driving more. So he has a case to be made that it's the Shaq effect, It's the and it's getting worse that he's just not getting the, the calls. Correct. So. That's not why they lost, though. 100% it's not. But it is a factor in him not necessarily maybe driving to the rim as much when the game is on the line, or not on the line, but towards the end of the game, because yeah. he knows he's been frustrated for a quarter and a half now with not getting the calls. Maybe he's like, this ain't worth it. And that maybe that's a bad mentality, but I understand it as a guy who drives I mean, to the rim at will. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, like there's got to be a psychological fact. Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting hammered every single time. They're not calling it. Maybe what do I got to do differently? And, we've, so. and another thing we brought up, and maybe that I've brought up, and you may not agree with it, or maybe it's something you, you, we can talk about, but... I do know that like he just doesn't look comfortable on the free throw line. And I'm not saying he would shy away from the moment. He's never a guy that shies away from the moment. But I wonder if part of it is like, man, I, I know I'm going to go to the free throw line. I haven't been great tonight. I'm five for nine. You know, maybe it's better if AD gets the ball and goes to the line. Or maybe it's better if I take this deep three because I can hit it or whatever. And I don't. Maybe that's a bit much. Maybe I don't think that actually plays into his psyche because I know he's one of the most mentally tough people in the league, if not the most mentally tough person in the league. But I know there's factors, you know, other than maybe the exhaustion and the not getting the calls. I wonder if that is a small, small, small piece of like, yeah. I'm not comfortable up here. Maybe I'm smart enough to know somebody's better suited at the line, you yeah. know, right now. But neither here nor there. Let's talk about Jimmy Butler. Just like... One more thing before we no, talk no, about Jimmy go Butler. Go for it. So... Um, Heat, game two. Okay. 67 possessions. They played zone. Whoa. Out of how many? Does it say how many possessions? I don't know, but it, but it, it 67? Yeah. That's a decent a decent percentage for Correct. sure. They showed that zone in... That was game two? Game two. Okay. In game three, they showed that zone seven times. So all the stuff they did was all out of... That's right. I think they, 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 they were doing... They, 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 they were did. doing that switch and drop under thing all game. Yeah. They were, they were letting Lakers basically shoot out of there because if you go back and look at game two you saw a lot of high low passes yeah from lebron in the middle to anthony davis or dwight howard at the rim and uh and they figured that out so good job by spolstra switching back in into a man-to-man defense and uh and i don't think uh 
I don't think Vogel and the Lakers were expecting it. And and I Based think that's why you And that's why you saw I think Anthony Davis struggle really hard in that first quarter because it was a different look that he hadn't seen before. Mm. I did not. I'm glad you brought that stat up. I I definitely noticed that they were running way less zone in game three, but I did not know it was 60. You said 67 to seven. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a big deal. I mean, they, I think they, I don't want to say that they figured them out because they, you know, first two games showed that they, they did not. However, they have figured a few things out so that can make life really tough for the Lakers. One of them is they're, they're noticing they're rejecting all like when they're getting screened. Whoever you know, what they're doing is they're taking whoever's Duncan Robinson is guarding. They're bringing him up to screen for LeBron, and um, the Miami Heat are rejecting that screen. Not rejecting it, but not they are switching. not switching, and they are dropping. Yes. So Jimmy Butler is literally basically he's dropping and he's just kind of staying away for a second and yeah. waiting. And then what it does though is it does allow for an open shot from the guy that actually set the screen because they're just sitting in limbo for a second. But we know that the Lakers aren't the greatest three-point shooting team, so they're taking their risks. They're saying, I'd rather have Markeith Morris, Caruso, Kuzma, anybody, shoot that three versus LeBron getting that switch on Duncan Robinson and making something happen. So you know what I do from the Lakers, like going into the game four? I'm I'm running LeBron AD screen screen and rolls. And I think they shied away from that because of the the, the two early fouls and like they didn't want him to get a a cheap third offensive foul at the screen or whatever. Um, And and AD was very tentative when he got the ball. He was. Um, But I I completely agree. You go one, two, high pick and roll with those two and and almost it's unstoppable. If that's the defensive strategy they're going to roll with. Right. so I think that's a you just brought up a great point. That's a phenomenal thing to look for for Game Four is if um, what what the Lakers pick and high pick and roll situation is going to look like with what Miami was doing in Game Three. Does Miami then say, oh, "Well, we know what you're going to do now. We go back to zone." I don't know. I don't think the zone, zone necessarily works. It's not working. So you just got you got to roll with what you did in Game Three and hope that it works again. Yeah. I mean, honestly, and put your chips in. Bam the- comes in and makes a difference if he plays. So Game Four, in my opinion, if you're the Heat, is put all your chips in the middle of the table. Do what you did in Game Three, and if it works again, we have a series, and they right. figured something out. If it doesn't work, you go. Well, damn, the guy we're about to talk about in a second just had the fucking game of his life, and that was it. <laughs> like <laughs> Jimmy, man, he was so awesome, and I'm gonna let you talk here in a minute because no, go, I know how much you love. Yeah, I'll, like, I'll, I want you to go first. But um, there's been one person <laughs> over the last 17 years in the playoffs that has beaten. LeBron James and points, rebounds, and assists in a game. Do you know who that is now? Now, what a stat! Hold on, like, sorry, spoiler. It's Jimmy Butler. <laughs> what a stat, though, right? First of all, that's a stat that just means how fucking good LeBron's been for seventeen years. Yeah, like that's never happened. But the fact that it was a guy who is not known for passing. No, he can rebound, but he's not known for being a rebounder necessarily. And he's not known for scoring 40 points. <laughs> he was responsible for 73 of their points. Wow. 73. Of their 115. Of their 115, wow. he was responsible for 73 of their points. That was second ever in the NBA Finals. Wow. I mean, just a, just a dog performance, man. I mean, he was not going to let that team lose last night. Right, he was not going to go down three zero. Um, you know, he got to the paint at will, and uh, <laughs> and the Lakers, not that they let them or anything like that, but their defense was was really atrocious. And you had called out a few times about 
how uh, they were letting the switch happen, and they shouldn't have. Yes, LeBron, and now it was wasn't always LeBron, but it mostly was. That LeBron, you had said I think it was five minutes left, or even yeah. and you said LeBron has to guard Butler the whole way, five five to go, the yeah. whole way. If you want to win, that's ha- that's what had to happen. And what I don't know if you noticed this, but even before that, he had started it. I think yeah. it was like seven minutes or six and a half minutes. He was like, "All right, bet I got this guy." Yeah. And but when you take that responsibility on, that means you you have a personal responsibility to then reject and stop. Every single switch that they're trying to do, you, you have to say fight through that fucking screen. You either fight through it, or you literally, if you see it coming, you tell Caruso, or whoever the other. Or it was actually at that point, it was it was KCP and Kuzma were the guys that were getting switched on, which Kuzma actually did a good job. Yeah. KCP was terrible. If you see it's KCP, you say fuck you, get out, literally <laughs> like fuck that, get away, and you just fight your ass through that screen. And if you get beat trailing because you fought through the screen, you can live with that. Right. But the fact that you were living with. KCP getting bullied in the paint for the last five minutes, or last for three of those five minutes, getting yeah. backed into the paint. Jimmy Butler was getting everything he wanted because yep. he knew he had a, a lesser, smaller guy on him. It was just, it pissed me off because if you're going to take that challenge, then take the challenge. Don't just do it to show that you can do it. Take yeah. the challenge. And then, a, and then a screen comes and you're just like, oh, switch. And you're like, like oh, switch, switch, switch. It's like, no, that's not a challenge. You just like, did it to get, to get the, the clout and then you didn't right. actually do the performance. So. But again, I'm not. LeBron was exhausted. I'm sure. Like, he did what he had to do for like two minutes, and then he just kind of was like, "Nah, no." <laughs> right. He did get a couple fouls that he didn't like, so I'm 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 assuming that also played into the factor of like, well, I'm doing as best I can, and I'm still not I'm still not getting the call. So like, maybe this isn't my night. Once he had the two travels and that 29 foot three pointer, you just kind of knew that he was gonna. He had checked out. Yeah. You know, not checked out, but he had kind of noticed uh, this in it. Like, this hey, you know, we don't need this game right now. Right. So. So, um, but yeah, I think that the defensively they just like had fallen apart a little bit in the fourth quarter. No, but Jimmy Butler, <laughs> dude, go ahead. So, if you saw game two, the camera panned to him after they were getting beaten game two, and you saw him looking around, he just keeps going, "All right, all right." He just kept saying that over yeah. and over. And most guys do that, and it's like you're doing this for the camera. But if there is one guy in this league that when he looks around and says, "I like bet." Now we have a series. This is a dude. Sorry, I'm going to go on for a little bit because I love That's this That's fine, game. yeah. This is a dude who, um, in Chicago, was brought up by Joakim Noah, Derek Rose, Carlos Boozer, Lou Aldang, Tom Gibson. Thibodeau, Taj Gibson, um, even some guys. I'm, I'm drawing blanks on a few guys, but but he's, he's brought up in this, like, badass, like, work your ass off, physicality culture. And as much as yeah. Derek Rose, like, got some shit in Chicago, that dude, when he played, played his balls off. He worked. So and he, and with Tibbs, who is literally the biggest grinder I think the NBA really has ever seen in terms of practice, like he doesn't believe in not practicing. So right. he grows up in that culture, and had teams that were going to be really good, and they got derailed by Derrick Rose injuries and just some unfortunate things happen. So he goes from there, which is a blue collar, work your tail off culture. Then he gets traded to Minnesota, and he gets on a team which is completely not working hard. I mean, Thibs wanted him there probably to show 100% those guys how to work, like Towns and Wiggins and them. Yes, and they and were they not just, they, they weren't working hard. It. They didn't care. They yeah. were kind of this young AAU generation and I don't I'm not trying to knock any of that, but like it's not as it's not as gritty as it was when Jimmy Butler's growing up. Mind you, a guy that was homeless at one point, 30th pick in the draft, was basically told he was going to be a bench role player for his entire career, ends up then improving his scoring by like 10, 15, 20 points a game, came off the bench, was getting like 
15 minutes a game. So this dude has worked his tail off. You know, one of my favorite Butler stories is uh, when he was there as a rookie in training camp, and he wouldn't say what veteran, but someone came up to him and basically said, you know how many, like, do you know how many uh, 30th picks get a second contract? And he was like, no. And they're like, well, look it up. Yeah. And Jimmy was like, I didn't give a fuck. Yeah, like, like, so, so I'm going to make it, so it doesn't if matter. If you've ever so, known this guy, like, yeah. if you did any research on this guy at all, you would know he doesn't give a shit about that. Like, yeah. he doesn't. And so, gets traded to Minnesota. Clearly, isn't. no one's working there. The best story in the world is when this dude takes four water boys, training staff people. I mean, they were bench players. But, like, yeah. basically the equivalent of, like, Juco basketball players. Right. Puts them on a squad, and he says, I want to play the other four fucking starters, and I'm going to mop the floor with you. And he does. Yeah. Beats the shit out of them in practice. Now, was that the right move? No. Like, optics-wise, no. But but it's Jimmy. It's Jimmy. and that I'm got okay it. with it, man. For like, sure. Because, I mean, that's what they needed. And, like... You know, got him traded, and him yelling at the general manager, "You need yeah, me, you, you fucking need me. need me, you fucking yeah. need me." So, he, so that happens. Then he gets traded because of that, essentially, and for contract reasons. But he gets traded because yeah. he says all this shit and the stuff on social media, whatever. Philly goes to Philly. He's the only person in Philly that holds anybody accountable. Him and JJ Redick are the only ones that hold people accountable. Right. They don't. They get to the, the Eastern right semis, one bounce, and maybe a game seven away from making it to the Eastern Finals. And you know we'll never know what happens. But yeah. um, so then he's he's there for one year, and he doesn't get re-signed. He doesn't get his contract, and then he goes to Miami, which is the perfect fit for this man. Absolutely. There is. I know Spolster said, and this was shade, Spolster said it's the greatest Heat signing in NBA history. I don't believe that. <laughs> they signed LeBron James. So, That's like, funny. easy, Spo. Yeah. Now, if for some reason the Heat end up winning five, six, seven, eight, not to throw a jab, but, like, win those many, that many titles, maybe it is. But right now it's not. Anyway, he gets there. It's perfect fit. He is heat culture. He is grind. All these young guys clearly are, are learning from him to grind. Tyler Hero is up. Duncan Robinson gets up like a thousand shots a day. Like it's unreal what these dudes are doing. And then game two happens and he sits around. And if there's anybody that you can believe that when he is looking around and feels that they have a chance, Jimmy Butler is the guy that will give your team a chance. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that LeBron won't. I'm not saying that like other guys won't. But if there is one guy you don't want to ever bet against to give your team a chance in a game where nobody gives them a chance, it's Jimmy Butler. So dude comes out and, I mean, from the jump is the best player on the floor and it wasn't close. Yes. He has, in the first quarter, he's 4 of 5 with 8 points and 3 assists in the first quarter. Then in the second quarter, he's 4 of 7, 11 points, Five rebounds, three assists. I mean, first half was already the best player. Yes. And then in the second half, solidified as not even close to being the best player. Just to go over, man. Just so, to go over. Um, I, JJ Redick said this on his podcast when he did a reaction to the game. And he said, this is not a knock on Jimmy, but he says, Jimmy's MO is never to be the most aggressive player from the jump of the, from the tip to the end of the game. He picks the spots, he analyzes for the first two or two and a half quarters, and then the third and fourth is when he makes his money. I he, mean, he is a team player. He gets everybody involved. He looks for the right basketball. It's very similar to what LeBron does. Yeah, he's not a good a passer. He's not known for being like the eight to ten assist guy, but he's never a guy that's like going to just go head to the basket and try to get 50 points or 40 points a His night. stuff is within the flow of the offense. 100%. But game three, he said, fuck it. And he was like, I'm the only one that can do this tonight. Yes. And 
Boy, was he the only one that did it. Like, he was. Olenek had 17. I know. Um, that's what? not sustainable. It's I mean, not. That's Hero, Hero shot terribly. I think he was like two for seven. I know he made a couple shots yeah. towards the end. Duncan Robinson, not good. Not, I mean, yeah. they had a couple other players in double figures, but no one really. I mean, it was just, it was it was all Jimmy, man. And, and he did it without shooting a single three-pointer. Dude is six, Do you know how much I love that? Dude is 6'6". Six, six. Scored 40 points in the 2020 NBA season and didn't shoot a single three. Do you not know how even, much I even, love that? Didn't attempt one. Didn't even attempt one. Not that he didn't hit one, just didn't even shoot one. <laughs> I know. And his team and shot. And it didn't need to. And his team shot 34 of them. And he wasn't <laughs> one of them. Like, it's insanity to me. And um, so 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists. That two is, steals, two blocks. Two steals, two blocks. So, like, literally doing every, everything. Yeah. Um, and I saw him at the ticket counter, like a bunch of people's tickets too. <laughs> I mean, he might as well. Right? He was getting water yeah, for everybody. Yeah. Um, he was mopping the floor. No, yeah. like, uh, and he had 14 free throw attempts, which is something he's always been good at is getting to the line. He's so great with body control and like getting the foul calls and the contact that he wants. Um, he did a great job last night in that. Um, and he played 45 minutes. Yeah. Like this game doesn't matter if Jimmy Butler doesn't do what he does Game three, and you know, two nights ago, they needed every single one of those forty points, thirteen assists. Yes, because rebounds. of because even of though, how everybody shot. Yeah, even though the Lakers played terrible, I mean, we're still forgetting they were up two with nine minutes to go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with all of this, even as as amazing as Jimmy Butler played, they were still down two with nine minutes left. Like <laughs> that just shows you how bad the rest of the team was for basically forty one minutes, you know, yeah. or forty minutes. Um, so, and you brought it up. He's the only person in 17 years to outscore, rebound, and assist LeBron. In, in the same game. In the same game. Um, I'm going to go a step further and say this. And this is a discussion we can have right now. Is that the greatest NBA Finals performance from a player who is not seen as an upper echelon player of all time? I mean, I guess if you were to def- I know define, we're getting granular yeah, at that exactly. point. But like, is he, okay, so let's back up a second. Is he a top 100 player of all time? Top 100 player of all time? Of all time. Of all time? Like, we sometimes say Scottie Pippen is a top 50 player of all time. Of course he is. Okay, so is Jimmy Butler better than Scottie Pippen all time? No. So, okay, so we're already not top 50. So is he top 100? I would say he's probably around there. Yeah. Okay. But he's not top 50. He's clearly not any higher than that. So for a player that is not regarded as a top 50 player of all time, and maybe not even top 100, we could yeah. um, he probably is, but like, whatever. But off the rip... That is the greatest performance from a player who is not seen as a top 100 player of all time we've ever seen in a yeah. finals game. I mean, I know that's getting granular, but like, it is. Nick Wright said it on his show. It's the greatest performance from a non-greatest player of all time we've ever seen in the finals. Sure. 40, 13, 10, 2, and 2 from a non-top 100 player. Or uh, Sorry, from a top 100 player of all time, but not top 50, top 20. 40 points. Here's the thing, too. On 20 shots. Like, so efficient. Remarkably efficient. On 20 field goal attempts. Wait a minute. I'm reading. He shot 70% from the field. Yeah. Holy hell. He's 14 of 20. I didn't even see that number. Yeah. Jesus. 12 of 14 from the line. I mean, he was just, he, he was amazing. And I will say this right now, because you and I have had talked about this over the years. Yeah. Okay. This, to me, this game right here puts the Paul George, Jimmy Butler thing to rest. Oh, it, I think it was already to rest, but yes. Yeah. Dude. Game three, de facto I'm, elimination game. If I have it, if I have like, if you're choosing between those two, I'm and I need a, a must win. 
I'm choosing Jimmy Butler. I agree. And I've always been that way. Obviously, I haven't. I, I have a bias. Yeah. But like, I've always been that way. I've always never been sold on Paul George. I know he can defend, but I think he's kind of regressing a little bit as a wing defender. Jimmy Butler um, is just more physical. He has the better mindset. He's a killer. Um, and if in a de facto elimination game, because if they lose this game, they're done. Yeah. Jimmy Butler goes out 70% from the field, no threes, which is incredible again, 86% from the line and 40 points. Completely different from the Paul George that we just saw in this playoffs. Absolutely. So hats off, Jimmy Butler. Um, If we get more games like this and they're competitive, even if the Lakers win in five, like I'm fine. I mean, I don't care if it goes seven. I have zero. I have no betting interest in the series. Like I just have the Lakers. I pick the Lakers in five, but have no betting interest in that. Um, If we get games like this and Jimmy goes for like 30 plus and it's a close game, I'm so happy. Oh, yeah. Um, I want the Lakers to win, but like if it goes seven and the Lakers win or six or whatever, I'm completely happy with that. This was awesome. Um, so hats off to Jimmy. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, you've clearly made it. You, you are the man. And uh, yeah, if anybody's if this anybody says that this dude isn't a guy you want in your locker room or isn't a guy you want to to have, a, you're just not a, a winner, man. You're just you just don't want to win. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Is like you it, just. If you don't want to win and you want to be like Minnesota and win 20 games a year and, and be in the draft top five every year, then fine, go for that. But you're, this dude, you're just a little soft if you want. You're Jimmy. soft. That's yeah. it. Like you don't know, you don't know what it's like to work your ass off, and, and you're soft. And right. Jimmy ain't that, and he showed that in in game three. Um, we're gonna take a break real, real quick, and then uh, we'll be back to talk about some some coaching news and some league and news. game four. Ooh, and and game four. Welcome back to uh, In the Paint. So we are going to talk preview game four. Um, The line right now is seven and a half for the Lakers. And what would you say, 218 is the total? 218 and a half. Um, 218 and a half. So we'll talk about that in a second, but that's just kind of where Vegas sees this game going. It's been around, I think nine and a half actually is where it was in game three. Um, So a little less because of what Miami did and and expecting Bam to be back. So they dropped it a little, but still assuming Vegas is still assuming the Lakers are going to win this pretty comfortably. Um, The series price is still massively high. You can get now, if people are into this, you can get the series or sorry, the, the final winning series margin. Lakers in five is only minus 125, which honestly, because they saw that Heat got game one, they're thinking it goes six now or, you know, that there's a decent chance it goes six. So you can get Lakers four to two plus three hundred, which is if you think Miami somehow sneaks another game, you're yeah. getting plus you're getting three to one on that. That's maybe worth ten bucks. Um, but the minus one twenty five is honestly shockingly decent value for Lakers and five, which we think it's. I think now that's what's going to happen. I um, do too. Again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess around with that because I just want to watch the games and you know bet them individually. But um, yeah, so I think. That's kind of where Vegas sees the series going is probably a, a five-game series. But there's some value if you want to bet the six-game series. Uh, but anyway, back to game four just as a basketball perspective. What, you know, if you had to give a preview and analysis of what game four is over, what do you think the storylines are for game four um, after the fact? What, what is the newspaper putting on their headline? LeBron and AD respond. I mean, that's, that's, that's it. I don't, I don't see – I don't hmm. – like, you can't ever count the heat out just because, like I said, how hard they work. Of course. I know we've been hammering that on. But, like, I just don't see why the Lakers would lose this game. Do you? I mean, like, they're going to come in. They're going to come in locked and loaded. They're going to be ready. Um, you know, 
he might jump out to a lead again, but I just think that it's just going to be too much. You're not going to see a, a passive LeBron. You're not going to see Anthony Davis get nine total shots again, which is absolutely, I just still can't get over that. That's yeah. the game right there. If AD only takes nine shots, they're losing game four. And Matt. if he and if he defers, right? Like, yeah. I understand he got the two fouls in the first quarter, but he ended up, I know we, the whole talk was he was in foul trouble. He only ended up in the game with four fouls. He had two more, I mean, one more to officially give, and he had two more to play with, and he still deferred in the fourth quarter because I think he was, his mind wasn't in it. He had, right. he had completely psyched himself out in the first quarter, yeah. and he just, I know he ended up with 15 points. It looks a lot better than it really was. So, yes, if that happens again, nine shots and only 15 points and whatever, five or six, seven turnovers, it's it's a tied series. Yeah, but one, that's not happening yet. I agree. Two, Kelly Olenek is not going to score 17 points. <laughs> and hit, like, what, five or four or five threes? Yeah, like, Kelly Olenek, if he's, like, your second-leading scorer, which he was, he was in that game, tied with Tyler Hero, mm-hmm. like, that's, that's not a good recipe. And so. I want to back up for a second. I know we're talking game four, and we don't want to harp on, we want to get through this, but... Myers Leonard was an was a guy that like I was a little shocked hadn't played until game three. Yeah. I know that the BAM thing like brought that on, but he's a big physical dude. I was shocked that who the Who can hit a three. Who can? And and he's just imposing, right? Like yeah. I'm not saying he's gonna be this massive, beautiful rim protector, but he's a big dude that is like a force in the paint. I'm shocked it it took BAM going down to at least get him some run. Um so I I'm not saying he's a game changer, but I was a little shocked that it took for, till game three for them to try that. They were trying the Solomon Hill thing, and I think that's insanity. That was, yes. Um, Spo just kind of does this. He did it in. Um, <coughs> he did it with the Heat back in the day. I think he played a game where like he started Dexter Pittman one time. Right. I think uh, I don't know remember who was talking about it, but somebody was talking about it. He like just sometimes just tinkers with some stuff and like plays around. Um, but yeah, so. I thought that was weird that it took till game three to maybe try that, but it, it wasn't necessarily a game changer, but it provided a different look. And then the Kelly Olynyk thing, again, I'm not counting on him to get 17 points a game, but if he can do that, that's also an added element they didn't have the first two games. Um, but all in all, if LeBron and AD do what I think they're going to do and they come out and they get 30 apiece or at least 25 apiece, LeBron, I think Anthony Davis gets 30 plus tonight. Um, this will be a wrap pretty early. What do you think of uh, Butler's little goodbye message? So I I, I can't believe I forgot that because it was one of the things I had in my soliloquy that I just forgot to yeah. to bring up. In his post game conference with the media, he said that LeBron said something to him in, in the, the in the first half, in yes, the first half, in the first quarter or something, or first yeah, quarter, first right. half. LeBron disputed that later and said that he doesn't trash talk which we know is not true because yeah. he did it to Steph Curry and called him a little boy <laughs> yeah. like or little dude at one point so he definitely trash talks but LeBron disputed and said he wouldn't have trash talked like that that's just not a part of his game I don't believe that I do believe LeBron said something to I'm him sure he did in the first or second quarter yeah. um, because again Jimmy Butler looked at him went after him and said those exact words I think yeah. that there was something that was said before um, the fact that they are in trouble I don't believe that but if you're Jimmy Butler, you want them, you want your team to believe that they think they're in trouble, right? Yeah. I know that was a lot of he, he, she, they, them. But no, no, no. if you're you, Jimmy Butler, you want your team to believe that they think they're in trouble. You're capping off your performance right Correct. there. You just said, I was the best player tonight. Like, and I'm showing it and y'all I'm telling are, you. Y'all are in like, trouble. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so I loved it. Again, that's just another thing that Jimmy Butler is just the man. Hey. He's a fierce competitor. And it, it, it was his night. Yeah. And again, if that's the formula and if they continue that, then yes, the Lakers are in trouble. Um, I don't see that being the case. But um, so you have a dominating performance from LeBron and AD. Do you, first quarter, you had talked about it last for game three. What do you think the first quarter, if you're to bet it, which I don't know if you're going to, but if you're if money line, just who wins the first quarter in your opinion? Actually, I think it's going to be the Lakers this time. I do too. I think that like, if you're looking to bet maybe like the Heat at some point, it might be the second quarter. Yeah. But I do think the first quarter, the Heat come out, or sorry, the Lakers come out and just. Oh, they're going to be ready. Yeah, and they, be ready. They didn't like that performance. Um, one interesting thing is I want to track uh, Dwight Howard McGee minutes. McGee hasn't pl- didn't play in game three at all. At all. And Dwight Howard had 15. Do you think this is a bad another bad matchup for Dwight? I don't necessarily think that it is. No, I don't. I just think that he has he's such a he's such a high low in terms of emotion guy, right? Yeah. <clears throat> if he's in the game, if he gets off to a great start, that's the thing. Yeah. He has to get four or five rebounds in the first quarter and has to get a couple buckets or some fouls for him. Yeah. If he doesn't, he disconnects and he starts flailing his arms and getting pissed at officials and he right. really takes himself out of the game. That might have I didn't I didn't catch the first quarter um, until rewatching it and at that point he didn't really get a whole lot of minutes so I didn't catch the beginning but the way the minutes looked it seemed like he probably kind of checked out and disconnected after the first quarter. Or I mean first he half. had yeah I mean he had, it was two for two, two fouls. You know, three rebounds in 15 minutes. Yeah, and minus 11 after the first half. And for the game, he was minus 15. 15. So, like, just wasn't impactful at all. Yeah, no one I, really was for that no. for that team. But I think, I mean, I think this is a series he could play and be helpful in, right? Yeah. I mean. And maybe he really just needs a big guy like Bam to kind of push him to be great. Or, you know, to be impactful. Because sure. he didn't have it in game two. Yeah. He didn't have it in game three, but in game one, he was a, he was a big deal. He was dominant. Yes. Mean, so yeah. I think maybe, and I don't want to blame it on, you know, like not having Bam to be a guy, but like sometimes sure. you need that competition and that push, um, you know, to, to matter. And so, yeah, I think uh, Dwight didn't have a single field goal in game one, but he had two free throws and he had eight rebounds um, and just kind of was an imposing force. I think, actually, he only played 15 minutes in game one too. Maybe... Maybe it isn't a, a series that they're relying on him. I mean, Vogel much. isn't thinking that it is right now, but clearly, he only had 17 minutes in in game two. He played better in game two than game one, but yeah, I I think it is a series for him though. I don't think it's one that he's unplayable. Now, no, McGee because has, McGee has shown that he's almost unplayable. He's just time, he just doesn't yeah. fit at he's times. He's getting you know? there. Um, I think though that like for the Lakers to be their most physically dominant, they have to live at the rim. And yep. doesn't Dwight Howard help that? You know what I mean? They can't be so dependent on the three necessarily. Yeah. I, um, well, Jimmy Butler said after game three, they asked him what the key to the game was, and he said they rebounded better. Yeah. It they're, they're normally getting killed on the rebounding the rebounding category in games one and two. I want to say um, they got out rebounded a ton. They had so what? They had thirty six. The Lakers had forty five. So only by nine there. But in game two, they got out rebounded by a ton. I mean, they still had Lakers still had eleven offensive rebounds in game three. That's the thing. Yeah. You know. And that that helped keep a minute probably longer than it should have been because twenty three you know, nineteen turnovers in game two fifty four rebounds to twenty three yeah they got out rebounded a ton in game two and in game three they were like oh we rebounded better it's not the massive key to the game but it is a key to the game they have to rebound yeah. better they have to rebound better yeah. so again a lot of the stuff that happened in game three was very uncharacteristic for the Lakers so if they go back to their normal formula and just rebound better and don't turn the ball over as much and shoot just a tad bit better, they're going to win the game by 10 points, if they not more. Sh- they should win. I just don't see, you know. So, seven and a half, 
what are you doing? Are you staying away? Are you just watching the game? I'm just watching the game tonight. I think yeah, that's but, a, that's a tough number. Yeah, but I. But if you but you would but fit, gun to my head, I I would pick Lakers. But it, but I think you, if you're in your opinion, is the better bet just thinking that the Lakers dominate the first quarter? Like I think is that so. the thing you would do? If, like, yeah. You know, if you're if you're thinking about it, I yeah. think if if I'm giving advice to anybody, I would I would do the first quarter money line for right. the Lakers. See what even the spread is, and then play from there. But but yeah, seven and a half is a is a number where after coming off a loss, you want to say they cover that easily. But like it's the Heat. They gotta stop giving up thirty point quarters. Yep, they really do. So I would say, in my I'm going with me. I would take the seven and a half with the Lakers, but definitely the first quarter is the look for me. If you're the if you're yeah. looking to bet on the Lakers, the first quarter is the the I wouldn't say the for sure, but the the high probability they come out guns a blazing and and take that over. Um, okay, so we both have the Lakers winning game four and then game five. I assume we both have them. Yeah, finishing, it, finishing off. it off. I mean, that three to one lead again, it can be a little tricky. You know what I mean? Because you're thinking, you know, you got room to play with. You don't have to win it. You know, psychologically, you're thinking those things. But I think at that point, um, let's go one, home. Yeah. Like, we're in let's, this bubble now for, for almost four months. Like, right. let's get the hell home. I mean, but you know that game, that game five, like, the Heat are coming out. 100%. Backs against the wall. Literally another elimination yeah. game. It, you know, it'll, it'll be a great game, I believe, game five. Right. Um, okay. Quickly, some league news. Um, Doc obviously was fired from the Clippers. Um, and, uh, no, sorry, I sorry, mean, sorry. Yeah, he stepped they, away from the mutually right, mutual mutually agreement. It. He was fired, guys. <laughs> Don't let anybody fool you. He was respectfully fired. And then um, within 24 hours, he was out to Philly and having a and watching the NBA Finals with Philly yeah. executives. And then within 48 hours, he or maybe even 72 hours, he was the new head coach with a five-year deal. Um, for the Philadelphia 76ers. What do you think of that? He's not going to see that deal through. I don't believe he sees the deal through. I don't believe that... Uh, I don't even know... It's fine. It, I get it. They think that he can like be this goody, this buddy-buddy guy with Simmons and Embiid, hopefully make this more of a, a culture of like, you know, respect the coach, respect the team, respect the organization, blah, blah, blah. Fearless leader. I agree that he's a phenomenal leader. I get it. He's a leader of men. People yeah. love him. So this will hopefully help the like team dynamic because I don't think they liked Brett Brown or believed in Brett Brown. No, I think you don't think the team liked Brett Brown. I think I think sorry, certain guys didn't like Brett. Brown. I think they were like, oh yeah, he's cool. He's our coach. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the I one element that I think is interesting with this this team is Doc is the one guy that I think helped Tobias Harris become really, really good in L.A. Oh, Because okay. he coached him in L.A. Yeah. And now he's back with him in Philly, and Tobias has not been good in Philly since he got there. No. So if, he, if he's somebody that can get Tobias back to a, a very good level and help this Simmons-Embiid dynamic, I'm not saying they're going to be, like, top three seed, but, like, I think they can be a top four seed in the East with Doc. Do you think, okay, top four seed, do you think their ceiling is now higher because of Doc Rivers? No, I don't even know if the Embiid and Simmons things even makes it out of next year. Like Doc may just be one of those guys that's like, all right, we got to figure out, we got to ship one of these guys out. There's yeah. already talks of him like having ideas of what he could do with the draft and like with one of them, uh, with some of them. But I don't know. I, I think it's honestly kind of a lateral move. I don't know if it's necessarily a. He's better than Brett Brown. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, that's no, that's, I agree. That's the best thing that I could say, I guess. I agree. Like it doesn't. It's not earth shattering. It's not gonna make Philly this, you know, super contender now, right? They're gonna be yeah, a playoff team, so. and so it's like good it. for Doc. So he got more money. He's coaching again. Like yeah. I believe he has a spot in this league to be a coach. So like good for him for getting a job seventy two hours after getting fired. Um, 
But like, so it, who gets the Clippers job now? I wanted to say Ty Lue, but there's reports that he just visited New Orleans. If if I'm Ty Lue, if you're Ty Lue, which job is better right now? I mean, it's it's hard. The Clippers. If you know. really, if you're a believer in them, if you're a believer in that they ha- they can win now, that they can beat the Lakers, that they can do those things, right? It really then comes down to what that. Ty Lue believes, right? right. Like this, Ty Lue was there. Believes, if he he was there, if he believes that is a championship team right now, then that's where he goes. Yes, right. If he thinks that they're not, or fra- the locker room fractured, or there's no way they're coming which back, which there from are reports that, of. Yeah, right. You go to New Orleans and you build because the sky's the limit over there, right? Yeah, I. I think either one for him. It literally just comes down to what he has seen and what he believes. Yeah. Because I think that he's a good fit for both of them. Yes. Um, but it's just a question of what does he what has he seen and what does he believe each team pre- presents. New Orleans also has David Griffin. Correct. Which I think is a big pull. That's why it's he's getting huge. That's why he's yeah. getting the interview he is. Um, I could see Sam Cassell if if you know if he gets an offer if Tyloo gets the offer from New Orleans he probably takes it. I could see Sam Cassell going. All right, this is my time. You've brought up Mark Jackson. Yes, please. Um, get him out of the booth. Let's get him coaching. <laughs> That's the only reason, guys. That's um, the only reason I want Mark Jackson to coach the Clippers is because I want him out of the booth. Get him out of the booth. So. Um, Van Gundy has got his name thrown in. I've said this. He must have the best agent in the world. That dude just gets a freaking... Every his year. His name is thrown in the hat every time there's a job that comes up. Yeah. There's, I'm sure there'll be other guys that pop up. Uh, Mark D'Antoni is a guy, too, that might have his name show up in that in that um, for the New Orleans or the Los Angeles Clippers job. Um, Who's taking over Houston, man? I don't know. That's another interesting question, um, just because it seems like all these other guys. Van Gundy going back? Maybe. You know, I don't know. I don't know. There's there's just not a lot of whole talk on that front right now. Um, no. It's been like mostly like the Philly and the New Orleans because those are kind quiet. of the two like yeah. prominent jobs right now. Um, I think people think Houston is just a train wreck. Um, I think you know? it is, and, and it might be. So that's why people are staying away. But yeah, I, I think Ty Lue would be awesome in New Orleans. I'd love to see that him with David Griffin again. And but I think he'd be awesome in, in the Clippers. I want to see him get a head coaching job again. Um, so I want to see that, and I, I hope he takes one of those two, and I think he will. Um, but if, if New Orleans offers him a job, it's gonna be tough to, to turn that down and just walk away from that city. Yeah, you've got a great, you got a, you got a great core there. You know, you have a good GM. Yeah, veterans there like JJ Redick who have been around, and yeah. Etwan Moore, and those guys that like can really Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday, who you know is probably the most underrated player in the NBA right yeah. now. So, you know, it'd be hard to turn that down. And if he gets the offer, I would do it. Um, so that's where I would roll. Um, I'm interested in Houston real quick before we like sign off here yeah. because like what kind of coach do they bring in? Because they are so set up to do Dan Tony's thing. Like when you bring in a coach, like are you is is Maury telling them, you know, you have to run this way, you have to play this way. Because Analyx says so and then yeah. or or are they gonna adapt to the coach's strategy? You know what I, I mean? Know. How much how much power is a co- head coach gonna have there? Is that kind of the reason, like, we're not seeing people jump to that job so quickly? I, I think so. Like, is it, man, I just don't trust that, like, I'm going to be able to run my philosophy because Maury and, you know, Maury's going to say. They went all in this with this thing. This is what we're doing, right? Yeah. And so maybe that's part, maybe it's going to take somebody that Maury just, like, convinces that his system is the way to go. Um, because I can't think why. of a traditional coach that would go and take that right now. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's why Billy's like, nope. Maybe that's why Doc is like, nope, I want to go to Philly. Ty Lue, I don't, I, I assume Ty Lue's going to get an interview there at some point. But like, if he wants it, if he wants it, and you yeah. know, so there's a lot of factors. Uh, I don't know if Houston is the job anymore. Just like the way they're set up and the way that they've shown that the system is working, it's just not there for the playoffs. And so, um, 
I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what happens. I haven't heard a lot of reports and I haven't read enough about what's going on, maybe because there's just not a whole lot going on. So um, I don't know. They're kind of an anomaly, man. They're just out there. Yeah. They're just different. Yeah. So um, just like Jimmy Butler, he's just different, man. He's just different. He's just built different. He's just built, he's just built different. <laughs> he's built We've heard different. that said by every team in the, in the playoffs. We just built different. <laughs> But I can firmly say Jimmy Butler is just built different. Oh, he's, he's awesome, man. He's just man. a different human. Um, so, again, I hope that we have a, a good game tonight, um, and I hope that the Lakers rebound and just come out guns a-blazing. But I hope we have a, a decent game tonight. Yeah. Um, and then and hopefully it's over in game five so I can look like a genius. <laughs> um, but that is going to do it for another episode of In the Paint. Thanks for tuning in. Again, like us. Follow, subscribe on all platforms streaming podcasts. You can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, um, anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. We'll be there. So uh, tune in and, and thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.